Live. Live from... This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me with freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. I'm going to be talking New York Yankees offseason today. We are continuing our October of baseball podcast. We're joined by Christy Acker, the New York Daily News, the Yankees beat writer there. We're going to talk about the Yankee offseason, some stuff they could be dealing with there, some interesting questions to discuss. Do we get another catcher for the Yankees? What do they do with DJ LeMayu? Who's in the rotation next year? All fun stuff to talk about with Christy Acker in just a bit. We're also going to do our NFL picks for week number eight here. I'm going to be joined by Steelers fan Alex Osano of Sports Grid. Talk a little Pittsburgh football. Make the picks of the week. I'm going to look to get back on the winning side. I went one and two for the second straight week. We'll see if I can get back on track there. Make sure you're locking the end to the end of the podcast. Nice little PSA for you about the importance of voting. I know I don't usually get political, but this is an important message about the importance of actually exercising your right to vote. But we'll get it all started with this week's opening tip, where I got a weigh in on the end of this World Series, which was pretty bonkers. I'm going to get to that right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, we are back here. Opening tip, talking the World Series. It wrapped up last night as of recording on Wednesday. The Los Angeles Dodgers win in six. My preseason prediction comes true. I did have them beating the Rays in the World Series, so got that correct. This thing, boy, oh boy, was a fun series, first of all. Fun postseason, and I know a lot of people didn't watch it because there's so much competition for airtime going on, and a lot of the political stuff has taken eyeballs out of the sports, but it was a fun series. Great matchups. You had classic endings, especially game four with the Brett Phillips play, and the Dodgers responded nicely, winning the next two. Clayton Kershaw, a couple of big performances in the World Series. I hope we can finally get rid of that monkey of he's bad in the postseason, get that out of his thing. The game six, though, went very weird for a couple of reasons. First, that was a baseball reason, so we'll talk about the Rays here. The Rays all year long, they are the students of analytics. They strongly believe that you do not let your starting pitcher face hitters the third time through the batting order. And we've seen this all year with how they manage their starters. Blake Snell rarely goes over 75 pitches. Rarely. Tyler Glass now, Charlie Morton, they don't go deep into games because they figure that the third time through, the hitters have the advantage and the pitchers get hit harder. This got put to the test on... Tuesday night because Tampa Bay is up one nothing in the sixth. Blake Snell is absolutely dealing. He is crushing this lineup. The Dodgers can't touch him. Literally, their top three hitters in their lineup each struck out twice against Blake Snell. So we're in the in the bottom of the sixth. Come up. One man on, one man out. Mookie Betts coming up for the third time. So what happens? Kevin Cash comes sprinting out of the dugout. You can see Blake Snell is like, you've got to be kidding me. I can do this. And Cash says, nope, 
You're coming out. In comes Nick Anderson, who has given up runs in, to that point, six straight games. What happens? Predictable. Double. Run scored. Ground out to start the first. The throw of the plate by G-Man Choi is late. Dodgers take the lead. Mookie bets homers. Dodgers win the World Series. This is the problem with the analytics to me. I get the numbers are valuable. They give you information, and there's no such thing as having too much information. The problem is, is this sort of paralysis by analysis idea. The Rays made this decision today about 2 o'clock in the afternoon that, okay, no matter what the situation is, once Blake Snell faces the order 18 batters, he's out. He could be throwing a no-hitter. He could be getting torched. He could be pitching a game like he was. He's coming out. At that point, though, you have to realize that you cannot make a decision based on the spreadsheet. You have to have the factor of the human input, too. And we have the stack geeks all coming out like, it's the right call. You have to do it there. No, you don't. You don't have to take him out. The stat sheet does not mean you take him out. The stat sheet tells you that, okay, it might be worse if he stays in the game. But considering the fact that Mookie Betts hadn't touched him and Mookie Betts has been struggling against lefties all postseason, you leave him in. You let him get the chance to get out of that inning. And then you bring in your relievers the clean inning after that if you believe in that. Or, here's the shocking thought, you let him go while he's pitching well. Because you could have had a situation here where you could have forced game seven if Blake Snell goes out and goes a distance. Maybe he doesn't, maybe you need your closer at that in an inning or two, but at that spot, taking him out, just because the numbers say you take him out, is the wrong move. You have to manage with a gut as well. The numbers are there to help you make decisions. You cannot be beholden to the numbers in baseball only. If that's the case, why are we playing the games? Well, we just put all the teams in a computer game. We'll, we'll simulate a season on the show, and it'll tell us what happened. This is not how sports are played. There are human emotions involved. There are human elements to this game. You have to be adaptable to the human element here if you're the race. And Kevin Kett after the game quickly said, that's how we got here. I would do it again if I had the choice. And you're out the stackings are going, oh, it's a bad result. Most of the time it will work. You can't gamble on that when you have to see that he's pitching brilliantly. And the Dodgers can't touch him. The Dodgers were thrilled that Blake Snell came out of that baseball game. And one of the great ads in sports is, if the other team is happy you're making the move, you probably made the wrong one. The Dodgers were thrilled to get Blake Snell out of that game. And it predictably bit the Rays in the butt. That is the race problem. Now we get to the baseball problem from the last night. As you know, you're watching this game. The Dodgers get the lead. All of a sudden, Justin Turner comes out of the game, and they don't tell you why. You're like, that's odd. He's a starting third baseman. He nearly hit one out his last at bat. All of a sudden, he's out of the game. Anyway, game goes on. Dodgers win. We find out after the game that Justin Turner is tested positive for the coronavirus. Apparently, according to the timeline Major League Baseball established, they got their test results for the game late. Rather than holding up the game, they opted to play on. Because they figured, probably thinking, okay, we're in a bubble. We haven't had a positive test in 54 days. We're good. They're not going to have it. We'll just finish this out and end the season. They get word in the second inning that Justin Turner's test is inconclusive. Now, there are a couple ways you can handle this. At that point, you could 
to help the Dodgers turn rest to come out of the game. You could stop the game and wait for the test results to be done because at that point, Major League Baseball asked the lab to expedite processing of Turner's test result from early in the day. You could do that. The problem I see here, and the epidemiologists out there are mixed on this a lot. Some of them said, you know what? The inconclusive result is fine if he plays in it because it could very well be a false negative. And these tests are sensitive. You could have cross-contamination. I get the theory here about, okay, we're not going to hold this up because of an inconclusive test. Once you find out that Justin Turner has tested positive and he comes out of the game, he needs to be taken out of the building and gone somewhere else to isolate. What happens instead is we have Rob Manfred stuttering through the post-game interview, talking about how he's isolated to stop the spread of the coronavirus. And within minutes... He's out on the field celebrating with his team as he won the World Series. What is wrong with that picture here? Justin Turner refused to stay isolated because he said, I can't miss this celebration. Ken Rosenthal, Fox Sports reported that, that, that Turner and the Dodgers insisted he be a part of the celebration. This is a quote from the New York Post with Joel Sherman and our quote from Dodger President Andrew Friedman. He wanted to come out and take a picture with the trophy, Dodgers President Andrew Friedman said. Him being a free agent, I don't think anyone was going to stop him from going out. I think he was mindful of other people, especially other people he hadn't seen around. For him, having a chance to take a picture with the trophy is incredibly meaningful. And boy, oh boy, does he take a picture of the trophy. He's sitting front and center without a mask next to his manager, Dave Roberts, who was a cancer survivor 10 years ago. In front of all his teammates. None of them wearing masks either. And his teammates don't seem to get the problem either. Corey Seager, series MVP, said, to have that happen to a guy like that, when he mentioned this franchise, this community, it's gut-wrenching for me. I can't imagine how he feels. If I could switch with him, I would. It hurts. It hurts a lot. Should be out there taking pictures with the trophy. Turner tweets out during this game that he's doing great. He's asymptomatic. But Mookie Betts also said, forget that. He's part of the team. We're not excluding him. I'm sorry, your team celebration does not warrant being reckless in a public health crisis. And I get the the, the COVID troops out there say, oh, it's not a big deal. He's an athlete. He'll be fine. Tell that to somebody like Eduardo Rodriguez. He's an athlete. He had to sit the season out because he developed a heart condition. You argue, okay, he's with the team. They've all been exposed to it. That doesn't excuse the fact that they may not have it and they could have gotten it just by hanging out with Justin Turner when he's supposed to be isolating away from the the population because he has the coronavirus. It also does not excuse the fact that you have media members who not sign up to be around a COVID-exposed person. You have family members who are not there. You have security officials who are not supposed to be around these COVID-exposed people. But no, Justin Turner had to celebrate the World Series with his teammates. That's more important. That's the more important thing here. This is exactly why this virus rages in this country because everybody's like, you know what? My needs are more important than what's going on in the rest of the world. And this is something that Major League Baseball must be furious about because Justin Turner made a mockery of their COVID protocols. I remember way back in August when we had the Marlin breakout and the Cardinal outbreak, how... Teams were talking about being stronger proactively. 
The Dodgers themselves came up with a set of strict rules. Who was the one who told the press about those rules? Justin Turner. Now that he's won the trophy, they don't apply to me. I'm going to be going to be part of this moment. I'm going to go take my picture and be sitting front and center, smiling like an idiot in front of the whole world. You have got to be kidding me. The amount of selfishness involved in that act is amazing. Basically, he's sitting here saying, it's my moment. I don't care. I don't have to play tomorrow. That's not a problem. Think about that selfishness for a second. Major League Baseball is already investigating this incident. And if I were the league, I am hammering him hard and the Dodgers hard because these protocols are collectively bargained by the league and the Players Association to prevent potential outbreaks. You now potentially have a super spreader event at the World Series because Justin Turner couldn't be denied his photo off of the trophy. I get that the Dodgers wanted to do it. The Dodgers don't make the call for anybody that interacts with people around the team. They don't make the call for the family members or the media members. How many people have to self-isolate for two weeks now because they were exposed to Justin Turner? The league also needs to find them heavily and possibly suspend Turner into next season. Give him a suspension to start the year for flagrantly breaking the protocols at no regard for anybody else's interest except his own. Because this is also an issue that the government's going to be watching. And we heard for a while about how the local governments and the health of the commissions are going to have a say in sports being played. If we're still having a virus problem next year, and MLB lets this slide, how are you going to sit there as a local health official and say, boy, I trust baseball to do this the right way when they let the guy with COVID sit in the middle of the World Series photo? It's an absolute joke. The league does get a little bit of blame here for being very reckless with this because security should have done a better job making sure he did not get out there. Number one, he should have been taken out of the stadium as soon as he tested positive, not being allowed to hang around in case the team won. And also, what was the plan here if the Rays won the game? What if Kevin Cash left Blake Snell in the game and they win? How are you doing game seven? You had one game left. You let him on the field, an inconclusive test. It came back positive. What were you going to do then? Were we going to just rapid test everybody today and hope they were negative? And if they were all good, just play the game and send everybody out of town? Were we going to hold the World Series for five days and play game seven on Sunday until we be sure there's no spread? We don't know. The league doesn't have to know, but they should be ashamed of what Justin Turner did on, th- on Thursday. They should be embarrassed that this is what their legacy for 2020 is. That they were the league that let a player infected with COVID sneak out of isolation and onto the field to celebrate with his teammates. Because that's more important than containing a lethal virus that has killed over 230,000 Americans. Shame on the league. Big shame on Justin Turner and the Dodgers not taking this seriously at all. Enough of that, though. Let's get to the Yankees. We'll talk to Christy Acker of the New York Daily News right after this. All right, I am back here talking New York Yankees baseball with their beat reporter from the New York Daily News. Christy Acker is on the line with me today. Christy, welcome and how are you? I'm good. How are you? 
doing pretty good. And obviously, Yankee fans are very disappointed their team did not make the World Series. Somebody who covered this team day in, day out this year. What was your big takeaway from the 2020 season for them? They ran up against, they were in a tough, in a tough spot in a tough year and ran up against a tough team in the Rays. Um, you know, I, obviously the Rays are in the World Series. I think they were the best team in the American League. So um, in a 60-game regular season, I think the Rays were kind of built for those kind of weird seasons. And um, I think that's what's happened. Yeah, I think that does make some sense. And obviously, they've gotten very close the past few years. They've gotten the playoffs every year since 2017. They've lost short of the World Series each time. Do you think there's something missing from this team? Or do you think it's just a case of a bit of, it's the format and they've gotten a bit unlucky? I think it's, I think you can look at any team and say there's stuff missing. I mean, obviously, if you look at the Rays now, they probably could use some more starting pitching, right? Um I think, you know, the Yankees have areas that they could certainly improve on. But I also think that it's hard to look at this season and take that much away or, or weigh it as heavily as past seasons. Obviously, you know, they're close again. Um, you don't know what would have happened in a 162-game season. So it, it's hard to say. Um, I, I guess I would caution against jumping off the bridge after this season because it's kind of probably going to be an outlier yeah it certainly is an outlier with the the only 60 games and all of that and obviously one thing that came out this year was no fans big revenue loss for the Yankees there have been rumblings going around the internet that maybe this might impact their ability to spend in this offseason have you heard anything in that regard well I they haven't actually set their their uh, payroll for next year as far as I've heard, but um, there's a lot of indications. I mean, there are indications even before the pandemic that they were looking to shed some payroll. How last year, I mean, at the press conference where he signed after where they introduced Garrett Cole was talking about the contracts that were coming off the books next year. Um, So, you know, and he's also gone on the record and said that they've lost more money than any other team. So it seems like it would possibly lead yourself to assume they're going to try to get under the luxury tax this year. Yeah, and obviously they have a big priority this offseason with DJ LeMay. He was hit, hit free agency. They got him for a pretty affordable deal this time. last time. This time is tricky, I think, because the market, you don't know what it's going to be like in this COVID-era free agency. And he did has played very well, earned himself a raise. Do you get a sense of like how much they're willing to give him to keep him? Uh, I've talked to um, a couple other executives, not from the Yankees, and they're pretty convinced that he's going to get twenty million a year at least, and that he'll be one of the few players who um, gets paid this year. Um, that won't have to pay what they're calling the COVID tax. So I think I think they have to be willing to go to 20 to keep him. Um, I think they might be. Uh, I think you probably will see them give him a um, qualifying offer this in the next week and go from there. That gives them time maybe to do a little more negotiating. Um, so. 
I think they understand he is uh, incredibly important to them. I, I think they understand that. I think they realize he may be the guy that they have to spend for and then maybe shed contracts someplace else. Yeah, it definitely makes some sense. And I want to ask you about a theory that I think I talked to Joe Sheen on my podcast last week, and he, he proposed that maybe the Yankees be a little conservative with LeMayhew because of this big class of free agent shortstops that come up after next offseason with Francisco Lorendor, Carlos Correa, that crew. You see a scenario maybe out there where the Yankees say, maybe this is too much uh, money for our value. Maybe we'll just ride with somebody else for a year and in 2021 go for a big shortstop and put Glaber Torres back at second base. I mean, that's a possibility. I would probably say that's their beat option. Um, I think they want him back um, because he gives them so much versatility. He gives them so much in terms of, you know, defensive versatility, offensive ability. I mean, they need more of him in the lineup rather than less of him. You know what I mean? They need more like him. Um, But absolutely, you have to go in with more options than you know just your a and that could certainly be their b option yeah and one area where they definitely feel like they could they're going to be exploring their b options is the catching position because i know aaron boone and brian catch up how gary sanchez is going to be back next year do you think they're going to make a big push to bring in somebody to sort of caddy with him and push him for his playing time or you think they're going to rely on the guys they have in house you know i think that might be an area where they don't spend I mean, they've, how many years have they spent telling us that Kyle Higashioka could, could handle this? So, excuse me, I think, I don't see them bringing in a catcher, no. Um, you know, they've also drafted catchers, I think, in the first round of their last two or three years. Two, uh, they have two catchers in their draft classes, which obviously they're a ways away. Um but I don't think they're going to invest heavily like a JT Real Muto in there. Maybe they bring in a veteran backup like they did this year to see what happens in spring training, like with uh, Chris Iannetta. But I can't see them investing that heavily in there. Yeah, I, can, I don't think so either. I feel like they have bigger needs, especially in the starting rotation, where they have two big free agents in Masiyaro Tanaka or James Paxton. Do you think they're more likely to bring one back than the other? Tanaka. I think they're more comfortable with Tanaka. Um, I think they could probably get a team friendly deal with Tanaka. He seems comfortable here. He's, you know, in the final weeks of the season, he started getting a little nostalgic about his Yankee career. Um, I, he's one I think you could possibly give the qualifying offer to, and, and he would take it. Um, I mean, it's, it's a lot of money this year, but that could be a safe route to go while you're waiting for, you know, a David Garcia and a Clark Schmidt to develop and a Michael King to develop into what they're going to be. Um, so I, I mean, with Paxton, there's obviously some reward if you offer him a, a qualifying offer. Um, you know, if you get him for that money and he's healthy, he's, he's a good pitcher when he's healthy. He's very good. Like he was at the end of last year. Um, but then you're also taking the risk. The man has had a long list of, of injury issues and, you know, you have to worry about, I mean, he ended the season on the IL. You have to worry about where that goes. So, um, I would say Tanaka seems like the safer bet for me. 
Yeah, do you think they're going to explore bringing in any external starting pitchers, or do you think they're focused more on retaining some of their guys and relying on Luis Severino coming back, Domingo Herman coming off the suspension, and some of the younger guys sort of fill out the rotation? I think if they do spend on free agent pitching, I don't think it's going to be high end. Um, I don't think it's going to be Trevor Bauer. I think you might see some, you know, there's always some veteran. I haven't even looked at the list yet. I apologize, but there's always some veteran, you know, pitchers out there that are available. You can bring them into spring training on a minor league contract and, and see how it goes. I think that's a, I think that would be probably what I do. Severino probably won't be back until July. Herman, we have no idea what he's going to be because he hasn't played for over a year. Um, and, and even at the end of his time last year with the Yankees, they were starting to move him to the bullpen. There was something about what he was doing that they were not comfortable with. Um, they were going to use him in a piggyback situation. So, and then that may have been innings limits, but even still, with missing a year, his innings are going to be limited again. Um, and again, you know, there's a saying in baseball, don't believe what you see in April and September. I would add, don't believe what you saw in 2020 either. Um, you know, they're going to go in with very hopeful about Debbie Garcia and Clark Schmidt. They saw some really great things for them. I don't necessarily meet, know that that's going to be 100% what they expect going into 2021. So I, I think you would have to have some kind of insurance and in spring training on that. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I also feel like that Brian Cash definitely has to be looking at his bullpen to try and bulk it up because injuries took away from that unit. And at the end of the day, they only had three guys they trusted in there. Do you expect him to try yeah. and go look for more bullpen arms by either either a trade or trying to sign a couple of free agents? I would think that they would be looking at trading, yeah, making a trade there to do that. I mean, first of all, they have to decide about Zach Britton. I would think in a normal year it would be a no-brainer to pick up his option. He's been very good. He was reliable, and quite frankly, with the way Chapman's two last two seasons finished, you might want to have Britton closing in the playoffs at some point. Um, but they have to deal with that first. I th- I can see them looking to trade Adam Adovino. Um, clearly they've lost faith in him, or at least in the playoffs they did. Um, and maybe he needs a change of scenery. Um, but again, they're going to be, I think they're going to be limited by their, their financial abilities this winter. And their bullpen, if if they do re-sign Britain, I think they're going to be pretty locked in right there. Yeah, the finances obviously are an issue, but we know they do have a very deep farm system. Do you think Cashman sort of looks at that as a way to sort of get creative with his team and say, you know what, maybe I'll take some prospects and pick up somebody who can help me without having to go splurge a ton in free? Do you think it could go that route, sort of augment the roster? They could. I, I think that would be something you would see more in season. Um, you know, they've been stocking up on those, uh, on, on having those players for a while now. I, I, it's hard to say what they're going to do without knowing what they're going to do with Zach Britton. I think that's the first domino that has to fall and all the rest will fall into place for the bullpen with that. Yeah, that's for sure. And I'll, my last question is about, uh, Aaron Boone, because he got his fair share of criticism for the game two move. And he's now been here three years. They haven't gotten the world series yet. How much pressure do you think he's going to be under next season when the season starts? I think he'll be under some pressure. There's no doubt there. I mean, the front office likes him. 
the ownership likes him. Um, you know, he's, I, I don't necessarily know how much he needs to be taking the blame for the game two decision. I think that was basically a, a group decision. So as much blame should go on Cashman and the analytics department as should go on Boone. I think the pressure will be there. I don't think it's, you know, I think it would be the same as going into this year because I think you have to look at 2020 as a, as a lost year either way. Um, you know, teams went into playing this playoff saying that if somebody won the World Series, it would be legitimate and everything would be the same. And as soon as they lost in the playoffs, it's like, well, it was a lost year anyway. So, and you just can't judge what happened on 60 games as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I agree with you there. Christy, thanks for all the time today. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, can you tell people how far you your coverage of the daily news and how far you on social media? Uh, you can find me at uh, nydailynews.com on the sports pages, or you can find me um, at by Christy Eckert on Twitter. All right, Christy, thank you for all the time. I really appreciate it. No problem. All right, and there you have it. That was Christy Acker from the New York Daily News talking New York Yankees baseball. Interesting stuff there from Christy. We get to see how their Yankee offseason plan sort of evolves from here, where we go after they get through some of their big decisions, like what to do with Zach Britton, whether to upgrade a catcher, how to address the rotation. All those things will be worth watching over the coming weeks. But up next, we'll do our NFL picks for week Number eight with Alex Vasano right after this. Show me the money. All right, show me the money is back. NFL picks for week number eight. Join me today. Somebody who usually comes on late in the season, but they have a big game this week, the Steelers. Alex Vasano is here. Alex, how are you? Doing fantastic, Mike. Thank you for having me, as always. Great to be on the show again. Not a problem. I'm glad to have you on here. And the scheduling worked out here pretty well for this because I know they had to change the schedule with the Steelers-Titans, and we got a great game out of that in Week 7. Oh, I mean, uh, you, you just said it. it. It was an unbelievable game. I couldn't breathe for the last 10 minutes, um, you know, and, and everybody loves a good missed field goal for the win. Um, so it was uh, definitely a battle of two undefeated teams. If one had to come out on top, I'm just thankful it was my Steelers. So um, what a great game, though. What a, what a great battle it was. It definitely was a fantastic battle, and we saw early Steelers jump out of the huge lead. The Titans did come all the way back. A.J. Brown, the big catch and run. They get they come back down after Ben throws the interception in the end zone. So are there any concerning things that's, that bothered you out of that game? Yeah, I mean, uh, I watch the games every week with, with my dad, and every week I tell him when we don't score on the opening drive, this is normal Steelers football. It's just they're not a team that comes out to an early start. They're always better in right before half and, and the fourth quarter. But this was a different approach. You know, they scored a touchdown on the opening drive, their first opening drive touchdown since December of 2018, I believe. And this was, uh, you know, it, it, it's something where you don't see the Steelers leading by multiple scores at the half. Um, so it was shocking, but it was also something that I wasn't comfortable with because I knew Tennessee was a great team and they were obviously going to put points on the board. Um, it looked similar to, to Cleveland. You know, when Cleveland was taking on the Steelers and the Steelers jumped off to a multiple touchdown lead, I said to myself, it's so early, but we managed to hold them off uh, in, in the second half. 
here, I knew the Titans were going to come back. And as you said, it's been uh, one interception all year, and now he throws three in the entire game. Um, so it was it was just a lot of mistakes. Um, but they did convert well on third down. And they, I mean, they sped the game up. I was after, they, they reached halftime. It was like an hour 15 out of the game. It was crazy. Um, so if they can speed the game up like that, I, I, I think they'll be great. So I wasn't really too surprised that they controlled the ball, but controlled the ball and controlled the clock. Yeah, and now thanks to that, that win, plus the out losing the weekend, Pittsburgh is the last undefeated team in the NFL. Obviously, everybody went into the years, oh, Kansas City, Baltimore, Kansas City, Baltimore, AFC. You think the Steelers have enough to be in that weight class going forward all at the end of the year? I mean, I love whenever uh, the Steelers are underdogs or they're counted out. Oh, Ben doesn't have it. Oh, the Steelers aren't going to go anywhere. The Ravens are too tough. Cleveland's a better team this year. I love being the underdog, and I love how they don't even mention the Steelers. Now you have to start at least throwing them in the conversation. I mean, this will be the first test when they take on Baltimore this week, obviously, to see if they can really compete. But, I mean, when it comes to, like, the Chiefs, per se, you gotta you got to share the ball like they did. I mean, Juju and Deontay Johnson both had nine catches each. Eric Ebron had six catches. So if they can keep sharing the ball, they can compete with anybody. I mean, they sped the game up against the Titans with keeping Tannehill and Derrick Henry off the field. You have another eight-minute drive to start a game against the Chiefs, keep Mahomes off the field for the course, for the first quarter. That's huge. Um, you know, it's just they gotta, they just gotta keep those bomb explosive plays out of the out of the stadium too. You know, it's like, oh, AJ Brown just scored a nice seventy-five yard catch and run. We gotta limit those plays. So as long as they limit those plays, you know, no mistakes, control the clock, they can compete with anybody. And 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 I love how each week it's like they don't consider the Steelers yet to that top tier, but now you really gotta throw them in the conversation. I mean, what else do they have to do? I don't know what else they got to do, but I think beating Baltimore is going to be a good start. Cause, I mean, Lamar Jackson beat them in both <laughs> both of his starts as a Raven, as, against the Steelers as a Ravens quarterback. Plus, they beat you guys last year when you needed the game. They played the backups and won. So, what are you looking forward to? What do you think is the key to this matchup with the Ravens? Yeah, I mean, they're due for a, a nice – we haven't had a nice Ravens-Steelers matchup. You know, last year, obviously, Ben was, was hurt. So, it's been a little – it's been a while since we've had nice, tough, hard-hitting Steelers-Ravens football. And that's what I'm expecting – uh, uh, this Sunday. It's going to be great. Um, I mean, if they can contain Lamar, uh, make him throw. They lead the league in rushing yards per game, but they're, I believe, like second to last in passing yards per game. I think the Jets uh, win that one. The Jets <laughs> take that uh, award from them. But if you can make Lamar throw, you know, uh, keep him in the pocket, make him throw from the pocket, we might be able to capitalize, we being Steelers. I mean, if they can uh, grind the clock like they did, you know, run, 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 play Steelers football, keep Lamar off the field. And when he's on the field, don't let him run past you. Because obviously um, in, in their history, the Steelers are not the greatest when it comes to mobile quarterbacks. So if you contain Lamar, make him throw, make him make that deep throw to, to Marquise Hollywood-Brown. Um, limit the mistakes. I mean, they have only three interceptions as a defense, the Ravens, but they have uh, three, uh, three interceptions as a defense, but eight fumbles recovered. So if Ben, you know, Plays smart, doesn't make any mistakes, you know, dunk, dink and dunk, no real uh, uh, trying to make the tight throws. If they can play their form of football, hard-hitting Steelers football, uh, I think we might be able to uh, to give them a run for their money. And converting on third downs obviously always helps. They were 8 of 9 against the Titans. If they can do that again, whew, just keep, uh, keep, keep grinding that clock. 
Yeah, obviously, the Raven passing game has, has not been the same as it was last year. And I know that I'm a Lamar Jackson fantasy owner, and he's still giving me good points because he runs a decent amount. But, like, that's something you think that the Steelers should be able to keep him having difficulty again considering their secondary is tremendous. Yeah, I mean, they lead the Steelers' defense leads the league in pressure rate. So if they can get to Lamar, if they can get to him before he starts scrambling, steps up in the pocket and runs off for 25 yards, which he is very, very capable of doing. That's that's really the best thing. I make make him use his arm. That's the best argument I could say that the Steelers need to contain Lamar. Um, he's a talented guy. You know, each year everyone keeps saying he's got no arm. He's got no arm. Well, make him prove that. Make him show us that he can have an arm. If he doesn't, then the Steelers take advantage of it. But it's just Lamar is that team. So if you if you take away the main cog of that team, you take advantage of it and you come out on top. Yeah, you do. I. I've been tracking the line of this game. It was very interesting because they had the Ravens open as five-and-a-half-point favorites. Obviously, they had the bye week, so they were able to rest up on the Steelers at the play that Titans game. But it has shifted in favor of the Steelers. I think it's an interesting trend. Yeah, I mean, people are still, um, you know, it was unfortunate with the whole situation with COVID. We were supposed to be coming off a bye like the Ravens now. Um, but the Steelers, they're, they're born for this. They love this. The whole organization, they know what's coming. They know it's Ravens-Steelers, the best rivalry in football. Um, so I'm sure the public is starting to realize it, too. Um, it's, you're right. I see it at three and a half right now uh, as Ravens favored. But I, I personally don't bet on my Steelers. I can't, I can't do it. So uh, I would be surprised if the public starts getting a little, uh, a little money in on Pittsburgh. But um, I could see the Ravens taking that home favorite at, uh, at a decent price. Hey, I, I totally get it with not betting on your own team. It's definitely a superstitious thing. I have bet against my team for like five straight weeks. I've gone four and one, so I've, I still think it's been pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I actually got bit by your Jets last week. I thought the Bills were going to be able to cover that double-digit spread. But, um, yeah, your Jets uh, making me upset, too, not just yourself. Hey, first time all year they cover the number. That did burn me last week because I did cause I <laughs> I gone four straight weeks picking the – five straight weeks picking the Jets. They, they had not covered, and that's the first time all year they've actually covered the number. Yep, there you go. So it's biting everybody, even the fans. Yep. So let's go to the picks because I brought it up here. Uh, your fellow sports grader, Kevin Walsh, was here last week. He actually had the rare one, one, and one week. So he had a push in there, too. He had the Browns. Oh, okay. Browns laying three. That was the push. He had the Patriots laying a two and a half. That one did not go according to plan. But he did have the Rams laying five and a half on Monday night, and they blew the Bears out of the building. So that one worked pretty well for him. Yeah, I mean, he's a great, great host. Uh, I produce a bunch of his shows, too, uh, in-game live all around the Sports Grid Network. So, uh, shout-out to Kevin. He's a great, uh, great analyst, and he really uh, he loves his football. So, And, and my Steelers took down his Eagles, so I do feel a little bad uh, already <laughs> in this season. <laughs> yeah, he did. I had a bad week last week. I went 1-2 and two for the second week in a row. I did lay the 13-and-a-half with Buffalo, and I think with that one, I feel like the Buffalo had not had that touchdown overturned by the penalty, and converting one or two more, I still think they would have covered that number because the Jets did did nothing second half of that game. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Jets came out hard on top. That defense was great, limiting Josh Allen. I mean, uh, what do you have? I think just over 300 yards, no touchdowns. So um, they did well, but you're right. They just fell apart the second half, and any of those field, any of those six field goals could have been a, a, a touchdown. So um, it's unfortunate that we couldn't get the cover, but, yeah, that, uh, that Bills team, uh, I don't know what's going on up in Buffalo, but they got to find the end zone. Yeah, that was one of my losses. The other one, I had the Seahawks laying three and a half on Sunday night in Arizona. That one didn't work out. They lost in overtime. I did have the Panthers getting the seven and a half in New Orleans against the Saints. They did cover the number, so I did go one and two for the week. 
I actually got bit by the Panthers a couple weeks back. I think they were laying three, and I thought I could take them, and it was just, ugh, I can't bet on the Panthers anymore this season. So I'm out on the Panthers. I'm out on the Bills. I'm running out of teams here. Um, <laughs> but that's good, though. At least you're getting one, one win under the belt. Yeah, that one, I kind of, I saw the numbers, like the exact same number this, that they had against the Saints were laying against the Chargers in week five. The Chargers cover it for this. I took, basically, was betting against the Saints defense there, and that worked out. <laughs> I'm glad it worked out. You know, it was yeah. always nice to get at least one in there. Yeah, so on the year, team challengers of ours, 13, 7, and 1. So they're off to a good start. I have been, I started out red hot. I've cooled off of them, 15 and 6 to start the year. All right, all right, sounds about even, but uh, I am on the, uh, the the challengers, so I got a root for the uh, for the side here. <laughs> yep, you are. So we're gonna go to the picks right now. We're gonna start the picks for week number eight. Alex, you're up first. Where are you going with your first pick? All right, my first pick will be the Titans. Uh, they are a six point favorite right here. I'm actually looking at it five and a half. Uh, so it depends on where you're looking. You can get them maybe at a five and a half, uh, around six range. Titans are coming off a tough game against the Steelers. We just talked about it. You know they're angry. You know Steven Gostowski is ready to kick again. So I think the Titans come out hard. And Joe Burrow, he's going to put some points on the board, but Ryan Tannehill is going to put a little more on the board. Burrow is going to get scared towards the end of the game, maybe throw a late pick and keep the Titans ahead. Uh, I think you can lay that uh, with, with the favorite here. Um, and then I'm also going to go well, let me, here. Let me, let me comment the Titan pick first. I think the issue for me I have with that game is just like, they're on the road. They're laying a lot of points. I fear the backdoor cover. That's why I wouldn't touch it. Totally, totally fair. But, you know, it's still Burrow. Uh, he's still young. He's only got one win under his belt. So uh, I still don't think it comes today. Something's going to happen in that game where it's a classic rookie mistake. All right. So next one is which one? I got the Rams and the, what game is that? Rams and Dolphins. Dolphins, Miami Dolphins. That's right. Two a time in Miami. Well, they're three-point dogs at home. So I'm going to take the Rams road favorites. You're getting them at three here. I took them at four. Um, two a time, but it's not time just yet. I think Jared Goff uh, is coming off a nice win here uh, for the Rams. And, you know, Tua, same situation as Burrow. I think a rookie mistake is on the way. Aaron Donald is the guy who's going to be coming up against Tua in his first NFL start. Not the best matchup for him uh, coming against the best defensive player in the league. So I think the Rams comfortable field goal, maybe even uh, a two-point spread here. Uh, two-point spread, two-point score lead. I think the Rams win by double digits. I think that one's a fair pick there because I can't really make a judge on the Dolphin offense now because we only see it with Fitzpatrick. I never saw it with Tua Tagovailoa. That's a manageable number. I know it's they have a short week and they're flying east and they have the West Coast body time thing, but they're usually pretty good in those spots. Like I like that pick. Yeah, you know, I feel, like, uh, feel confident about this. This is probably my most confident out of these three. Um, the Rams are showing that they can fight, and it's an NFC West, more like the NFC best, best division in football. The Rams have to keep pace, and I think they do it with a win over the Dolphins. All right, where are you going with your last pick? My last pick will be the New England Patriots. Shockingly, a four-point dog on the road against Buffalo. You know Buffalo is going to be a favorite at home, but they're getting another point, so you got the Patriots here. I Look, they're coming off a terrible beatdown from the 49ers. Cam Newton knows his back is against the wall. It's do or die time. If he loses again, he's probably getting benched, and it's him. Uh, position to hold. So I think Cam is back against the wall. Uh, Patriots will come out on top. Buffalo thinks to themselves, we can finally beat the Pats at home. We never do this. Well, what happens when you 
start to doubt the Patriots, they really show up. So I think Belichick will come out on top. Cam Newton sticks uh, his hands down the throat of Buffalo Bills fans and says, hey, I'm still the quarterback here in New England. You guys aren't done with us yet. Patriots by a very large margin. Yeah, I think this is a spot also where you're looking at it and you're like, I feel like people are ready to bury the Patriots, and I don't trust that Bill team because they have not played well for about a month. If they were playing anybody other than the Jets last week, they would have lost the way they played that football game. So they come out a little sloppy again. New England's a better team. New England will be able to be right there, so I love that pick. Yeah, and we just talked about it. The Jets and the Bills. I mean, the Jets held the Bills to six field goals. I mean, I think that Patriots defense is a little bit stronger than the Jets, so I think... Uh, New England is angry, they're they're mean, and they're ready to come out with a win. I mean, three-game plus. When's the last time we saw New England lose four straight? So I think uh, Belichick knows it's do or die. Cam knows it's, knows it's do or die. Uh, Patriots uh, definitely cover here. Yep, that's good for your picks. I'm up now. Pick number one. I'm going to make it six weeks in a row pick against the Jets here. I'm going to lay the 19 and a half with the Chiefs. I think for me, as long as this number is get stays under three touchdowns, I think it's probably going to because the line's actually shifted toward the Jets for some bizarre reason after it opened at 20 and a half. This team is not going on the road and doing anything in Kansas City. They had a good half last week, They were and they got four yards in the second half. As soon as the team makes adjustments on them, they can't keep up with it. And the Chiefs have so, so much firepower. You have Patrick Mahomes, you have Le'Veon Bell's revenge game, you have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins, the list goes on. The Jets are going to get their their brains beaten in this game. This is going to be at least a three-touchdown victory for the Chiefs. I'm laying those 19.5 points, pick one. Yeah, I, I like that. I mean, I wish I could find the uh, player props. They don't have them up yet on FanDuel Sportsbook, but Le'Veon Bell total yards is probably something you want to lean. You said it. The revenge game, I think Kansas City destroys the Jets here. Yeah, I think that's pick number one. They got us an easy one. I think I'm going to get back on the board with them. Pick number two, I'm taking your team. I'm taking the Steelers getting the three and a half points against the Ravens this week on the road. And as you said, Lamar's offense has not been good. He's not throwing the ball as well. And I love the fact that I'm getting the hook here at the Steelers because this game, when these two teams are at their best, it's physical, it's nasty. This tends to be a close game, field goal either way. Getting that hook with the Steelers is huge. So I'm going to take the three and a half points, take the Steelers pick two. You know what, I, if, I, if I would put on my team, this is exactly what I would do. You're absolutely right. Getting the hook is huge. This is Steelers-Ravens football. This is hard hitting. You know it may even go under the uh, total. I think I'm looking at 46 and a half. So uh, an under there should work. So this is grind football. Um, most of these games end up being a field goal margin. So you're right. That hook is going to save you. I love this bet. Yeah, that's pick number two. Pick number three for me. I'm taking the Saints this week. I'm laying the four points in Chicago against the Bears. And this is because the Bears cannot score the football to save their lives. Nick Foles has been awful since he took over as a starter. They can't go back to Trubisky because of reasons. And, I mean, they're going to Chicago. And I know the Saints defense has not been good, but I'm only laying four. And the Saints are going to run the football. The Bears have trouble stopping the run. The Bears cannot move the ball very well on their own. I think this is going to be a game. The Saints win something like 21-10 and get the number covered. So lay the four at the Saints, pick three. Yeah, I can definitely see them covering. I mean, you uh, mentioned that they're going to run the ball. They don't have Michael Thomas in the right state of mind, whether he's on the field or not. And the Saints know that the NFC South is going to be fought for by the Bucks. So they have to keep pace. they got to keep winning games. Either the Bucks or Saints, in my opinion, out of the South. Saints could easily cover this number. I like it a lot. All right, to reset the picks of the week, Al is going with the Titans laying the five and a half in Cincinnati against Joe Burrow and the Bengals. The Rams laying four in Miami against the Dolphins. And the Patriots is a four-point road underdog against the Buffalo Bills. 
I am taking the Chiefs at home, weighing 19.5 against my Jets for the sixth week in a row. I'm taking the Steelers, getting 3.5 in Baltimore against the Ravens. And I'm taking the Saints, laying 4 in Chicago against the Bears. And that's going to be do it for the Week 8 picks. Next week, I'm going to bring in one of my buddies, Giant fan Phil Friette. We're going to talk most likely them getting their brains beat in by the Bucks on Monday night. <laughs> yeah, Monday night football, another thriller here. Bucks and Giants. Uh, uh, Brady against Jones. Oh, man, I wonder who's going to come out on this one. <laughs> hey, wait till the week afterwards. That's the Patriots and the Jets. Oh, even better. Oh, oh Patriots get double, double prime time games. Look at that. Yeah, and this is a good, good job by the NFL here putting New York football on prime time three weeks in a row. <laughs> a classic NFL knowing exactly what matchups the people want to see. Yeah, I think they got burned, but I thought that they I bet they thought the Jets would be a little better than they are. The Giants, you had no indication they were gonna be any good. In fact they got two primetime games, which is mind boggling. Well, you know, it's probably a whole different uh game and a whole different aspect if Saquon Barkley is healthy on the field. No one can account for that ACL tear. But um yeah, it's really crazy how the uh, New York teams find their way onto prime time. Yeah, and right now it looks like one of those New York teams that get Trevor Lawrence next year. So, <laughs> let's hope for you guys to take. I really hope so. Well, I think the fact of the matter is the Jets have basically blown three games they could have easily won because they could they should have beaten Denver when Brett Rippin was starting the third stringer. They, they should have beaten the Cardinals. The Cardinals are not good, and they could have beaten Buffalo, and the way they played last week. So, I mean, you look at that schedule. Where's the win coming? Hey, honestly, if you can get them at o, to go zero and sixteen, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not. Not too afraid to lay those, uh, lay that juice in case uh, you feel like thinking that the Giants Jets are going to go zero and sixteen. I think it's very possible. Yeah, I think the Giants will end up with about three, four wins. That's my that's my gut with them. They're they're in enough games that somehow they'll accidentally find their way into one or two. Yeah, you could actually on FanDuel Sportsbook find the exact number of regular season wins for the Giants. No matter what you choose, it's all plus money. So yeah. uh, you could you could find that and get good value there if you're looking for some type of New York bet. Yeah, if you're looking for value, though, I also would say avoid the money line on the Chiefs. I think it's minus 2,500, which is absurd for an NFL game. <laughs> yes, it is. It's actually uh, minus 3,000 as Oh, my speak. God. <laughs> so, yeah, do not, do not, uh, do not lay that. <laughs> yeah, when, when it, was, it opened at minus 2,200. It said for the, for the folks not as up on the money line, you bet 100 on that. You're going to win $4.55. Wow, what a penny. What a, what a penny. <laughs> That's like your Floyd Mayweather dropping a hundred grand bet to try and double up with the way that's going. There you go. I'm sure you can find some better value elsewhere. I think you can, Alex. Thanks all the time. Really appreciate it. Before I let you go, people follow, follow me on social media. Keep up some of the stuff you're up to. Uh, you know, just follow me at, at Alex Fazano, F A Z A N O, on Twitter. You can also follow uh, my network, Sports Grid, uh, producing shows for there. 24 7 gambling advice, some fantasy picks here and there. Uh, check it out at Sports Grid. We're on MSG Networks, Roku TV, and uh, all your OTT platforms. So check us out. Absolutely. Check them out. Alex, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you, Mike. Always a pleasure. All right. Up next, we're going to go to the two-minute drill. Talk about the importance of voting this year right after this. The two-minute drill. All right, we are back here. Two-minute drill time, and this could be a short and sweet one because, obviously, we're saving pop culture for the next episode. We're going to have a special Halloween episode dropping with some fun stuff. I'll get to that in just a minute. I'll tell you what's coming there, but right now we have a big election coming up next week in this country, and I know this is not a political podcast. We're going to talk a little bit next to our legal guy, Phil Frietta, about the outcome of the election, what that means, and sort of 
reflect on the political system as a whole, but my message here is simple. This is an election that's basically all about how much of America is actually going to turn out and vote here because you have two very different candidates at the top of the ticket. You have a lot of big Senate races, a lot of big House races, even local levels. There are a lot of big issues in this country. You have the pandemic, systemic racism, healthcare, you name it, the big issues galore, and everybody has different opinions on them. The only way you make your voice heard in this process is to vote, and not just at the top of the ticket, because obviously you can go up, vote for Donald Trump, vote for Joe Biden, and go home. That's all well and good, but at the same time, you're doing yourself a disservice because what happens below them on the ballot really matters, whether it's your senator, state senators, your local council person, your mayor, they all have opinion on these things. And we saw this summer when there were protests going on to protest systemic racism, promote reform in the police department. How much action actually happened from this? Not a lot. Not a lot of people are inclined to just listen because if you look at the political elites of this country, the people in the top power positions, a lot of them have been there for 20, 30, 40 years, and they are sort of set in their ways, and they don't necessarily want to listen. So if you want to promote change, you need to look closely at your ballots. Look at who is in some of these local races because that's where all the political people start. They'll start off running for town councils, running out for mayor's offices, for state senate offices, before going into actual national government. Take a few minutes. Look up who is racing in your in your area on the down-ballot races, whether that's getting your absentee ballot in, looking at everybody, or taking some time looking out who's running in your area. Do a few minutes research. What does each person stand for, and who do I want to represent me? That's what this whole idea of voting about. It's not just, oh, we're going to vote for Donald Trump because he's make America great again, or we're going to vote for Joe Biden because we can't stand Donald Trump. Every vote you make matters. So take your time, read that ballot, have ideas about who you want to see in these positions before you cast that vote next Tuesday. Or early if you're going early. And by the way, early voting records are shattering all over the place, which is awesome to see. Just use your power to vote. Don't let people tell you your vote doesn't matter. It does. And with that, we're going to wrap up the show here. I'm going to thank Christy Acker for coming on to talk about the New York Yankees. Fun informational segment there. I want to thank Al Sasano for hopping on as well, doing week eight NFL picks. Hard to believe we're almost halfway through the season already. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including... My thoughts on the plan of the NBA to be back in time for Christmas. Check out the blog over at justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. You'll subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all your usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering on any of those platforms. You can find oral episodes there. Feel free to follow my YouTube channel as well, Mike Phillips on YouTube. I tend to put up all the individual conversations from the episodes on there. If you want to hear my conversation with Christy Acker about the Yankees again, you can check that out on the podcast YouTube channel. Leave your feedback and star ratings as well. They're very important. They help make the podcast even better going forward. So please do that. Give me a five-star rating. Give some reviews. Give me some critiques to help make the show even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. 
And that's all I got for you right now. Coming up this weekend, we have a bonus Halloween pop culture special coming up here. We'll talk Mandalorian premiere, The Haunting of Bly Manor, and more. Until then, hope you have a better week than Giants fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.